Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based champion Team. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You're listening to Season 1, Episode 43 of the Fly the W670 podcast. We're calling this one the price drop, as Crawley found out recently, that the cost of going to Cubs games next year will go down a little bit. The other thing we've promised on this podcast from day one is to take you behind the scenes, get you to know the players, the broadcasters, the front office types of the minor leagues. No exception this week as Crawley talks to Mick Gillespie of the Tennessee Smokies. Joining me now on the Fly the W podcast, the play-by-play voice for your Tennessee Smokies, Mick Gillespie. How you doing, Mick? Hey, great to talk to you. And uh, it's kind of weird in football season, swinging back to a little baseball. But you know, there's so many good things going on. It'll be fun to talk about it. Yeah, you know, that was for last time we talked to you was roughly you know kind of before the half of the season uh, finished for Tennessee. And uh, you know, they they looked okay. You know, we were kind of talking about it, and they were about what five games over 500 when the first half ended. But all of a sudden, in the second half, things kind of turned around. And it's been amazing to see, like, the list of players that either started with Tennessee or ended up with Tennessee as the season went by. It's had to have been fun for you. Yeah, it was. I mean, position player-wise, uh, a lot of power and uh, some, some good defenders and some guys that I think we'll see in the major leagues in the near future. Uh, and some guys that came out of nowhere that no one was talking about that weren't high draft picks, but, you know, have played themselves into being considered prospects. So it was a, you know, as far as that goes, it was really fun. Yeah. Now, now names that, you know, when, when the season started, obviously Chase Strumpf was kind of a big name, you know, coming back and Christopher Morrell, who all of us Cub fans would know he was a big prospect and a fan favorite in Tennessee. And uh, they, they were, you know, as far as Christopher Morrell, he wasn't there with you guys too long. Yeah, I was kind of surprised that he got called up straight to the big leagues. But you know what? He proved to be someone that could go up and make that transition. He did a great job of improving not just the physical part of the game, you know, but also the mental part of the game in in really a short amount of time. You know, he just wasn't a very smart baseball player 
two years ago. And then he came back this year and, and you could tell it, it was something that he really tried to work on. He had to slow his game down a little bit, just not to make as many mistakes out on the field. And he did that. And he's a super athlete and he really cares. He brings a passion to the game. But what I was most impressed with was that he, he went from a player that would make, you know, one mental lapse every single day. You, you could count on it. And, and it could be on the bases. It could be, in, you know, in the field. It, it just They were just constant. Uh, to becoming a player that made just a lot of great plays. He, he started to transition into playing some outfield. And he turned into a really good center fielder. Uh, shortstop, you know, it was too big for him two years ago this year. Just, you know, he, he did a good job there. And so when he got to the big leagues, you know, we knew he could hit for power. Uh, I was kind of concerned about his ability to hit for average and get on base, but you know, he proved that he could do that. But we knew that he could play defense. And I wouldn't have been able to say that two years ago. To stay in the big leagues, to stay at the major league level, you can't hurt your your team defensively. And, and he certainly didn't do that. And I think that's actually what kept him up there, you know, because you can put him in so many different spots. He can play, you know, three or four. He could probably play all four infield spots, right? You, you can put him in the outfield. So he runs – um, he's just a rally starting type of player, but I was shocked. I mean, when he went to the big leagues and, you know, he hits a home run in his first at bat and he stayed up there the whole year. So good for him. And, uh, he's got, he's always reminded me of Alfonso Soriano and Felix PA, right? right? You got, you know, you're talking about two totally different style of guys with a lot of ability Alfonso Soriano turned out to be a star player and Felix PA was a bust, you know, and it was like, where is he going to fall in, 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 you know, in between these two, because they were both great athletes. And, um, and I still think he's kind of in, in the middle there somewhere, but he's got the potential to be an Alfonso Soriano type. You saw him, he carried the Cubs a little bit this year, you know, Alfonso would put the Cubs on his back and carry them at times. And so uh, I think to me, that's the comparison that I use with him. Uh, so hopefully that he'll just keep getting closer and closer to that. Now I got to say just for uh, uh, Molly, I'm not saying he's Alfonso Soriano. Okay. I'm just saying he reminds me of Alfonso Soriano. Yeah. Kind of, kind of the wiry kind of guy. And people forget sometimes because with the cub, he was pretty much left fielder, but he played second a lot for the Yankees back in the day so well the power it's it's the power it's the speed you know the ability to steal 30 bases you know like the alfonso always had weaknesses right maybe the middle away slider but at times you know he you couldn't get him out and right. i feel like that he was very streaky in that aspect and i feel like morell is kind of the same way you know he's just a big strong kid that plays the game with a lot of fire and passion and, um, you know, and can carry the team, you know, and, that, and but at the same time, you know, that there's some weaknesses in his game and it's, you know, kind of balancing those weaknesses with his ability to be a star player. So I don't know if he's going to be a star player, but in my mind, you know, and who, who what does my opinion matter? Right. But he just always kind of to me as a you know guy who grew up watching the Cubs, just I, I, I would see him carry the team and I'd be like, you know what? It's a lot like Alfonso Soriano. Now, two pitchers that started the year with you guys that ended up in Chicago, Javier Assad and Brandon Hughes, both very interesting stories. Uh, Brandon, you know, obviously converted uh, outfielder 
and he ends up pitching some really big innings for the Cubs. And Javier Assad got a chance, and he looked pretty solid in the few starts that he made there. Definitely, I don't know if they're going to both start. I mean, Brandon Hughes I could see starting the year with the Cubs. I mean, Javier Assad probably still has a little work to do, but, you know, just very impressed with how they were able to handle themselves in the big leagues. Yeah, look, uh, Javier Assad, I don't know that anyone even considered him a prospect, you know, and because of that, he got to pitch a lot more than we see most of the Cubs pitching prospects. You know, he's just a guy out there throwing innings. And um, and then eventually he just kept getting better and better and better. Kind of old school, you know. We're, we're so protective over what we do with pitchers when they're starters. Right. And in this organization, you know. And you see other organizations, and they're a lot more liberal as far as how much the guys pitch, how many innings, you know, how many – how many, you know, throws they make, you know, and all that stuff. You're out there pitching, right? You see the Braves, and they're constantly bringing up a different starter, and those guys in the minor leagues pitch a lot of innings. And for the Cubs, it just it's not that way. And maybe guys are injured. I don't know. But it's, you know, last year we had, you know, five starters, but really we had two starters, Javier side being one, and then three openers, you know, guys that weren't even going to pitch five innings, even if they could, you know. But Assad was that guy that was just kind of old school. Like he's out there pitching every day and he and he's he's throwing all these different pitches for strikes and he's getting better and better and better. And then he goes to triple A and and it translated there. I wasn't sure what it was what it was gonna look like in triple A. Um I thought maybe he'd be all right. Because, you know, being a pitch to contact guy and not having this this game's turned into where you strike everybody out, right? It's a, well, I'm just gonna try to strike your guy out, you're not gonna put it in play. Or walk, right? And that takes a lot more effort than old school baseball, which, hey, look, I'll take some pitch to contact outs. You know, if I can throw five pitches and get through an inning, I mean, that's good, right? Um, and he's that kind of guy. You know, he, he can strike you out if he needs to, but you know what? He gets a lot of outs where he doesn't throw a lot of pitches. You know, he, he uses the defense, and uh, I was excited for him. He's what, wasn't, wasn't that Bull Durham strikeout, strikeouts are fascist? Yeah, they are, but see, it's not like that though. See, Everybody's that, fascist now, right? That, that's what the, that, you know. That was the big thing. He's, that was when he would tell Nuclelouche, "Don't owe you. Don't have to throw it. Just make get some weak contact, induce it. Don't worry about the strikeouts. Get the weak outs." Yeah, and maybe I've been in the game too long, you know, because when I when I grew up watching baseball, I I loved it, man. I couldn't get enough of it. Uh, I, I liked watching guys like Greg Maddox, you know, just just work and and get through innings on three or four, you know, f- three or four pitches, five pitches, you know, uh, weak contact outs, um, you know, having batters off balance, and I, and the strikeout was it, it's great, but it, it wasn't that big of of what we try to do now, and you know, the the, the style of the game is we're just going to try to strike everybody out. If not, we'll walk them. You don't get a lot of action and balls in play. And that's why but, it's fun to watch Kyle Hendricks as well. Same. Well, yeah, of- love him. Yeah, I mean, he's one of my favorites. You get great point though, right? And he always reminded of us of Mad- Maddox when he was coming up. You know, the Absolutely. fact that he could, you know, he he was really smart. No one's smarter at baseball than Greg Maddox. You ever get a chance to hang out with him and he starts talking about the game? It's really is you know, why they call him the professor. I mean, he just sits there and starts to talk about it and it, it just isn't the way that we probably think about it you know but Hendricks is the same way as far as his ability to, to look at a hitter and figure out how to get him out and set him up for next you know the next two three at bats Greg Maddox setting up guys for outs during spring training you know <laughs> let I'm gonna throw him this in this spot and then I'm gonna come back and he's gonna think it's this and I'm gonna get him out you know uh, so yeah he's amazing but 
Javier Assad is a great example of what happens when you let a guy pitch. And um, I, I think that, you know, he's a legitimate pitching prospect. I mean, I think he's going to be kind of a, you know, Jose Quintana type guy in the rotation. You know, somebody that goes out there and gives you a ton of innings and throws strikes and you can count on and, you know, maybe he's not overpowering people, getting some strikeouts, but at the same time, you know, um, someone that you can really rely on. And the other thing, and, and and this is a problem with every team is he doesn't get hurt. You know, he's, he's so a lot of these guys get hurt all the time. And I think maybe part of that is it's a tough job to pitch. I mean, it's, it's taxing, you know, but the other thing is when you're trying to strike everybody out, you use a lot of effort, you know? And so that puts a lot of, of, of effort and on your body and now, uh, guys don't last as long. Now, Brandon Hughes, did that surprise you how quickly no. he ascended you or were you, I mean, no, you look, were pretty I, confident. I'll say this, like the Cubs have had this big issue developing starters and we can debate what that issue is. Uh, you know, my gut feeling is, is that, you know, maybe philosophy, you, you know, you're not letting guys pitch enough, you know, whatever, but they do a good job with the, with the bullpen guys and uh, not even good. Great. I mean, the guys that we had in the bullpen, not this season, but last season, the best bullpen that the team may ever had. And Hughes was part of it. There's like five or six guys. You're like, if you, that team could never get them the lead, but if you could, it was over, you know? (laughs) And it's like, this guy's so, so dynamite, you know? And there's, there's five or six of those guys who were with the Smokies last year that are like Brandon Hughes that I think will all eventually get to the major leagues if they, you know, if they can stay healthy. But um, I think the Cubs do a really good job with the development of bullpen pitchers. And so I think they lose out on starters because they're so cautious. But at the same time, you know, um, maybe a guy like Cam Sanders, you know, maybe uh, maybe Ryan Jensen. You know, these guys could be, you know, the, the next great closer in the big leagues or something. It'd be fun to watch. Now, you talked about that team last year not being able to get offense. Wasn't the problem this year. You got to see two very high-performing offensive players come through for a couple of months. You had Alexander Canario, who the Cubs got from the Chris Bryant trade. He comes up on May 9th. And then you get Matt Mervis to come up with uh, on 517. And those guys were just both had unbelievable season. Mervis, the Buck O'Neill minor league player of the year. I mean, did you ever, I don't know. I, I don't remember ever knowing any player that went through three levels in one year and was successful every time out, every level. Yeah. And you, and you hope that that translates into a great major league career. You know, sometimes you, it's okay to struggle in the minor leagues. I mean, Matt Mervis, uh, 53 games for the Smokies and, you know, he hit 300 and, you know, he had 14 home runs, 51 runs batted in. He was, you know, very good at first base. Um, and then he goes to AAA and he continues to hit, you know, you, you, you just wonder, like, it's such an inexact science, you know, like what is the right way or the wrong way to do things? You know, I feel like with the smoke, the, the Cubs before, maybe some of the core guys could have used some more times, uh, some more time in the minor leagues, you know, they could hit, you know, Kyle Schwarber, but we, we don't know if he ever could have been a catcher. You know, we right. moved him up too fast, you know, or Chris Bryant never struggled in the minor leagues. You know, he's trying to figure it out now. Right. Um, and that's kind of the, the tough part, but you win a world series, it makes it worth it. Right. So oh, yeah. um, I, I, I think that I'm interested to see what Matt Mervis's season looks like next year. I mean, he was so good, man. I mean, just his ability to hit in the clutch, 
Um, defensively could be could be better, and it's hard to. I, I mean, I'm just saying that because look, compare everybody to Anthony Rizzo, right? I mean, right. he was so good. Derek Lee, I mean, that's some good, really good. Mark Grace, some great Cubs first baseman. I don't put Matt Mervis in that area defensively, but he can hit, and he's clutch, uh, and um, fun guy to watch. And I think that job's going to be his. And I'm curious to see what that turns into. And, and look, if he ends up being, um, a, a, you know, an everyday big leaguer, a big league star, I mean, he's a guy that was a – they didn't sign or, excuse me, didn't get drafted because of COVID or whatever. But, you know, the Cubs did – you got to give their scouts a lot of credit. And I know part of it was that he had the choice because he was a free agent. But during COVID, going out there and finding this guy – and then, you know, development, you know, I, I don't know what they did to develop him or not develop him, but it doesn't matter. I mean, he got the job done, right? And and um, some of it is just staying out of a guy's way. And I think Rick Strickland is one of the best hitting coaches that the Smokies ever had, and he was their guy this year. And and some of it was just, hey, I just let those guys go up, relax, <laughs> let them do their thing. I think he undersells himself, but um, – Certainly worked for this team, the entire Smokies team. I've never seen him hit like this, and uh, you know, in my years, and and Mervis is uh, is legitimately a prospect. Should be like the num- number one, two, or three Cubs prospect. Uh, and the Mick Gillespie prospect book, he's top. I mean, come on, man. You know, you put up those numbers. I mean, you got to be a top prospect. And then uh, you were talking about Alexander Canario. Selfishly, if the Cubs leave him in Double A, we win the championship. You know, he's yeah. that type of player, you know, instead of going to triple A and sitting around and, you know, we're like, what is he doing? We're looking at his stats. You know what? Why? We, we could use him every day. And and the thing about it wasn't the, you know, all the extra base hits. You know, he had 44 extra base hits. 24 of them were home runs. He had 61 runs batted and he did strike out a lot. But you know what? He just was it was his defense in center field that when he left immediately, that made the team weak where they were going to struggle in the playoffs and then ended up coming a game short. He's the type of player that can win that game for you and he can do it with the bat, but he can also do it with the glove. And I think that people undersell his ability to play center field and you got to watch it every day. It's not going to pop out at you because he's not diving all over the place to make catches. He just gets to the ball um, and he makes the catch and he makes the play. And so he, he cuts down the gaps. He's able to get the balls over his head. He can come in. He's a smart player. He's got a good enough arm. So I, that, that to me is a, a big compliment to him because I'm sure everyone's looking at the home runs and the doubles, and, but his defense is really good, and that's where we missed him the most. Now, two guys that might have gone under the radar for some people, I thought Cole Roderer and Jake Slaughter were two guys that just really kind of – it kind of turned your head. I mean, Cole was coming back from what? Tommy John surgery. And, and Jake Slaughter just absolutely ripped it up. He got, what, the, the player of the month for, what, June? Look, he won the batting title in the league. And uh, he is a player that I don't – I'm not sure what's going to happen with, right? I mean, is he has he been put on the 40-man roster yet? Is he, is he on the roster? Is he going to be protected? Or is he going to be, you know, a, a Yankee or a Philly or a Marlin or something like that? You know, I'm curious. Um he is a player that scouts have told me made substantial improvement. And I mean substantial. He's a, he's a big, strong guy. He, he, he's got a football build like a Mike Trout, um, you know, where he just looks like this giant dude out there, but he moves, you know, he can move. And he, he played, you know, pretty good defense um, and he can hit. 
He's a good teammate. The other thing about him that I really like is he's smart. Like he runs the bases aggressively, but smart aggressively. He he's going to put a lot of pressure on opposing offenses because of that. And 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 he's a guy who had 28 steals and 20 home runs, and he did that in 86 games. He wasn't even with the Smokies the whole season. Right. Um, but you know, you watch a big guy, and you're wondering, you know, how agile, how nimble are they? And um, he's still got work to do, but I, I, I really like him, man. I, I, I'm curious to see how his game continues to get better. And he's a player they, – they used to do this all the time. You, know, you, you would go through the regular season, and then you would just keep playing baseball, right? You'd go over to Puerto Rico or to Venezuela or to the Dominican or Mexico or whatever. you play winter ball. And he's a guy who would probably benefit from that, you know, just getting more bats, you know, just, and, and he's such a big, strong guy. I'm guessing that he would be able to physically handle that. So I, I don't know how that's going to turn out, but he's interesting. You know, he's I really like him as a player and uh, I'm curious to see how it turns out for him. Well, I know I talked to Jared Banner, uh, VP of Player Development, and last year they had 30 players stick around Arizona for the offseason, paid for their housing, paid for their food. They got to work out at the facilities. And when I talked to Jared, he said it's going to be up to 60 players this year. So those are a couple guys that could definitely, you know, go back out, use the facilities, strengthen, be under the eyes of the Cubs, and and maybe really come out and have, you know, I don't know if they start here at Double A or if they move to Triple A or what, but like you said, be interesting. Uh Two guys that I had my eye on when I was in South Bend a lot uh, were uh, DJ Hurst and Jordan Wicks. Uh, kind of had some struggles moving up to Double A, but that happens sometimes when you move up that level. Yeah, look, they're prospects, and uh, both of those guys, uh, in different ways, have great ability, right? And I mean, they, they, you know, they hard throwers, uh, but both of those guys struggled in Double A, you know, and it, and it'll be a good spot for them to start next year. Um, and then the biggest thing too is, is getting there and, uh, you know, not just. Okay. Picture this. It's Friday afternoon. When a thought hits you, I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road with available H track, all wheel drive and three row seating. My whole family can head deep into the wild, conquer the weekend in the all new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Now, pitching, but also um, staying healthy and making starts, you know, and, and kind of sticking around for a while, you know. Um, I mean, and, and I mean, like Javier Assad, you know, where you're guaranteed in the lineup. You're, you're you know, it, you're not always having an issue and, and not pitching, you know. It's like... Okay, well, where where are you? You know, Javier Assad is a prospect because he just wouldn't go away. Right. You know, like he just he just kept hanging in there. So I think both of those guys are um, prospects because they 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 do have good stuff. But you know, I I didn't see enough of them to say, hey, you know what, this is what this guy's going to look like. They just they didn't both of them in a different way. Hers, you know, hitting batters and not really giving up a lot of hits, but just you know, kind of being all over the place. He would like, you know, walk a bunch of guys and hit guys. And you never really saw, like, you see flashes of greatness. No, don't get me wrong. But it just, it, it just, he's got to put it together. 
and, and then you got to do it here, and then you got to go do it again, and then you got to do it. But he's only 21, too. I mean, he's such a young guy. Uh, and then Wicks, you know, we, we, we saw him, and then we didn't. And then so uh, I'm guessing that this will be the one-two punch for the Smokies at the beginning of the season. And then, you know, I'd have probably a better perspective. But I'll tell you this, both of them, very – the talent, You when you watch them, you're like, okay, yeah, these, these guys are – they got talent, no doubt. Right. And like you said, then it comes to in between the ears and staying healthy, you know? Well, I mean, how much of it is just being being there, right. you know, being relied upon? I mean, yeah. you may be the best radio host in the entire world, but if, you know, if you're never there, I mean, you know, it's like, okay, well, you know, at some point, a guy like Javier Saad is going to be the guy that you're going to depend on, and he's going to be the guy with the job, you know? So um, I, I think that's a lesson for every player, you know? I mean, it, that's kind of what – what this business is. I remember Bobby Dunier telling me, you know, that you're once the season starts, you're never a hundred percent. Right. You know, and, and who's able to play through that. You know, I love me some Bobby D but 2013 was the last time that the uh, Smokies were in the playoffs and all of a sudden, boom, you guys are back in it. How excited was it? What was the atmosphere like in Kodak? Yeah. I mean, it was good to be back. I mean, we, and, and it's not just that we weren't in the playoffs. I mean, we've had some of some horrible seasons. I mean, as far as record wise, and, and, and when your job is to, you know, to broadcast games when your team's constantly getting lit up, you know, I mean, it was like nine years of just terribleness. And so you, you, you know, like you're every day I'm preparing like for, to do the broadcast, like the game doesn't even exist. Right. Which is shameful, but that's the way that the minor leagues are. And I guess that's the way it is in the big leagues for some teams. You know, I mean, you're, you're trying to find anything to keep people interested in the game. But the last two years, I, I noticed the difference last year. You know, r- right off the bat, that team, they didn't win a lot, but they were very scrappy and young. And you could see the talent. Uh, you could see the Cubs taking a kind of a different direction. And then this year, you know, even though they, they, they didn't win either half, you know, they did qualify for the playoffs um, and then got in the playoffs and upset the best team in the league, you know, so that was cool. Yeah, the it Rocket City Trash Pandas. And knocked them off. Yeah, a team that we play 30 times, you know, and we've had like uh, some some pretty heavy, you know, battles with over the year, you know, the years, the last couple of years. So that was that was definitely gratifying. Uh, and hopefully that experience will help those guys when they get to the big leagues. Yeah, the Trash Pandas, you said 30 times. They took 18 of those games, and then they come out, and they hit you guys in the mouth 9-5 to <laughs> for game one. But then all of a sudden, in this game two, you guys get a 4-2 to two victory, you know, first playoff game in Toyota Field history. Yeah. You know, and then all of a sudden, you end up having game three, what you call it the Harrison Wenson game, right? Was that like yeah. two, two home runs? Yeah, yeah, man. How about that? The guy gets – He's like a 114 batter. He's a good defensive catcher. He gets let go by the Angels. Cubs sign him. And then, you know, they, and they, the Angels stacked that team. They, they left all those players there because they wanted to win a championship. And um, the Cubs, Cubs the, you know, the, the, the Smokies beat them, you know, and it was the, the entire playoffs in the league were so weird because the team that won the first game. Lost the next two, so no one, no one took advantage of their, you know, their one game lead, you know, because all their three game series. So, uh, but yeah, that was crazy. I, uh, Winston, I, that's something he'll remember the rest of his life, you know. And when you when you're on a team and you're, you know, the backup catcher, 
and, and you're not getting to play every day, you know, and, and you're kind of trying to prove yourself and you get an opportunity in that situation against your former team, you don't get that a lot in life. And he took advantage of it. And, and he, he, that was one of the best playoff games you could ever have. He had two home runs. He scored all three runs in a 3-1 game, 3-1 win. Threw out a guy trying to steal. <laughs> it was amazing. Unreal. Yeah. And, and, you know, unfortunately, like you said, the, the Smokies would take game one against the Pensacola Blue Wahoos, uh, but then drop the next two. But, you know, for, like you said, for, for a team that hadn't had a lot of success in a long time, what do you think you're going to remember most about the 2022 Smokies? Yeah, well – I, I like the team a lot, you know, like their manager, Michael Ryan, uh, young guy. I mean, you know, he's in his forties, but, uh, I just did, did, did things the right way, you know, just easy to be around. He just treated everyone, uh, with so much respect the the team kind of followed suit. And he was one of the best managers I've, I've been around in my long extended minor league career. Right. And so I, I appreciate that. He made life easy on us, and then the team played so hard too. You know, they they were just tough. You, you, you know, when things went went poorly for them, they they got back up and fought hard. They never gave up, and um, you know, sometimes the, the starting pitching was so bad for this team in stretches. And even if it wasn't, it it was like we we're set up to lose. You know, when you have starters that aren't going to pitch five innings then that means that you're going to use the bullpen early. And, and over the course of time, you burn your bullpen out, you know. So then it went from the starters to the bullpen, you know. But they still managed a way to win enough to get into the playoffs, right? So I'll remember that. I'll remember, you know, the two uh, no-hitters, and they were with four pitchers each. You know, and I, and I had made a comment, you know, about how I just – I don't know. I'm so old school, you know, Hey, look at the no hitters. One guy throws it, you know, <laughs> and then uh, the Mets had one and, you know, Wayne, you know, used to work at the score and you know, I'm like, Wayne Randezza. Yeah. yeah. I'm like giving them a little bit of <laughs> then like that next, I don't know, next day or so we have one and it's like, okay. And I saw the excitement that the team had and then we had another one and I loved it. So I'm not always right. You know, even though I've been around a long time, like you learn stuff and y- you see, you know, the game's changing, but at the same time, that was really cool. Um, we had a guy. We have a guy that I love, uh, Darius Hill, and he's just a hit machine. I think he ended up having. I, I don't know if he finished that way, but he he had more hits than anyone else in baseball for a while, and uh, he did really really awesome for the Smokies. And he went to AAA, and, and you look every day, and he's batting over three hundred, and he's such a good player, and he plays in the outfield. He's always thinking. Reminded me of Sam Fold, you know, when Sam Fold was with us, where he was just not only. a a good, a, he was just a smart, smart baseball player, and and he could tell what you were doing wrong. He could tell what he was doing wrong. He could tell what the other team was doing. Well, anyway, there was a game where he was a triple short of the cycle in his last at bat, and he hits a gapper, and he goes for third, and he's out by that much. Uh. And I just remember thinking, like, I'm so glad you went for it. Right. You know, I'm glad you didn't stop at second and just, you know, go for it. That's what life is about. You know, the team was up. It wouldn't matter anything. Go for it. They made a perfect relay to get him out of third. But I just thought about, you know, that may never happen again in his career, in his life, where, you know, he could hit for the cycle. But he, you know, he, he just ended up that short of doing it. And um, 
Love that guy. One of my favorites. I think he'll end up being in the front office. But I remember him, all the home run calls. Like I, I got to perfect my home run call by the end of the season. <laughs> and, and through those really bad years, we didn't have a lot of home runs, you know, ironically. And so this year, that was not the case. A ton of guys hitting home runs. You didn't mention uh, Jonathan Perlaza, but you better mention him. He is a, a up-and-coming star. Uh, he was so much fun to watch every day in right field. He just grows on you over the course of time. First time in my – I grew up, I loved Eddie Murray, switch hitting. You know, he was Baltimore Hall of Famer. And he could, he hit home runs from the right side and he hit him from the left side. He used to do it, you know, try to do it in the same game, you know. So when I was a kid, I would try to switch hit. I wanted to do that. Uh, it didn't happen for me. It did happen for Mark Deshera, who watched him too. And then he goes on and breaks Eddie's record. Uh, first time in my career, I had a guy do it. It was Perlaza. He hit home runs, same game, both sides of the plate. I thought that was awesome. So that's something that I'll never forget. And, um, you know, and just that we had a lot of fun on the broadcast. Uh, I think our broadcast is as good as any in the major leagues. Uh, I think sometimes we're overlooked a little bit just because of the politics of, of this business. But you listen, you know, I mean, like we just have a blast and people and, and our, our fans they have our back. They love listening. They're the kind of part of the show that we do. And we made it through all these years of terrible teams. But as the, you know, like the broadcasting part of it, it's so much easier when you have a good team. Like, it's like, hey, wait a second. I don't have to talk about, you know, this baseball card's value. We can actually get into the game here. So I'll remember that as well. Well, you know, Mick, I've listened to you on radio for, with Tennessee. I've listened to you spring training when you used to do it with Lenny, and it's always been a great listen. And I encourage all Cub fans to listen to the Tennessee Smoky games, especially like, like Mick's saying, you know, just an exciting, fun team that's coming up. And uh, Mick, where could people find you to uh, listen to your stuff on social media, anywhere you want to promote or plug? Yeah, look, I, I'm, I'm going to tell you this right now. Um, you know, maybe, I don't know. If the Cubs wanted, I, I had a guy tell me one time, if the Cubs wanted a fan, they'd go out in the bleachers and get one. Uh, and I would tell that executive, that's me. You know what? I, if I lived in Chicago, I'd be with you hanging out in the bleachers, <laughs> drinking beer. Uh, that's because that's the way I grew up. But watching Harry on TV and Stoney, who I still love, um, and that's what Cubs baseball is all about, man. I mean, it just kind of shaped the the way that I – you know, kind of do my job every day, you know, just the, the fun that those guys used to have and kind of what, what the Cubs have always meant to me. And, uh, you know, and I know a lot of people watching out there kind of feel the same way, you know, through the ups and downs, uh, 84. And then of course, 2000, 2003, I mean, what, Oh my goodness, you know, but then to come back and, and, and finally get over the hump and now trying to figure out where the next, where the, where the next, things going to be but i think jed hoyer is doing a good job and i think eventually it's going to pay off for the cubs he's a really good guy but yeah check me out at broadcaster mick i also uh, uh cover alabama that's where i went to college so um do some stuff with them and then uh baseball during the season and uh you know anybody that wants to follow me at broadcaster mick on twitter and we'll definitely make sure to plug that we appreciate you for coming on mick and i hope to talk to you again soon Anytime, man. I love you and your bobblehead collection. I'm a fan of your bobblehead collection. Let's see him. Look at that, man. I want to do the podcast with some cold beer in your, your home studio over well, we there. Got in your there. Bar. We, got, we got the tapper right around there. It's all there, man. Hey, man, you got an open invite anytime you want. Look at all mine. Right, buddy? I got, yeah, I've got my kegerator right here. This is my home studio. <laughs> I use we'll it for there. football. 
We'll we'll pop in some dead tunes. We'll talk some baseball and we'll drink some beers, my friend. How's that yeah. sound? All right, look, I, I went to Wrigley this year for Dead and Company. It was awesome. I missed some Smokies games. Not everyone was happy with me, but I had to do it because I didn't know if I'd ever get a chance to do it again. Tell me your favorite Dead song. Oh boy, I would probably. I know it's kind of cheesy to say, but Althea would, would definitely. Oh, I like be up that there, one, man. It, I like that one. I don't know. It's, it's when he gets that groove going, especially when Jerry's really into it. Yeah, I, I love Althea. There, there's so many good ones. I was always a big fan of, uh, boy, Warfrat's one that really yeah, kind of yeah. hits me in the heart like sometimes. And I would say also, uh, Jack Straw's a fun one, a good opener. Yeah, I like that one. <laughs> See, I'm a I'm a Slipknot helps on the way guy. You know, oh, yeah. I'm I, I'm Terrapin Station. You know, I mean, little Franklin's Tower. Um, uh, Scarlet Begonias, Fire on the Mountain, you know, Shakedown Street. Like, I'm a groovy guy, man. Give me the groove. Like, I like that when the, you know, the bass is hitting and it's like, uh, I, when I saw him in Atlanta a couple years ago, I was <laughs> buying everybody beer. And then all of a sudden they start playing Shakedown Street and everybody's like, man, where are you doing? I'm like, fucking back with all these beers. So, no, I, I, I love it, man. Well, yeah, I'd love to do that. Well the, well, the funny story, Mick, is I used to drive a minivan. I used to, you know, it's my mom's minivan. I used to drive around when I was like a 16 year old, and I had a, it looked like a Sesame Street sticker, but it said Shakedown Street. Nice. And all these hippies used to honk at my mom and wave, and she never knew why. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm a Shakedown Street fan, <laughs> the real Shakedown Street. Like, but the, the one at Wrigley was like, <laughs> that's the first time I've ever seen it contained like that, you know? Oh, oh yeah. There, there's cool. always, there's always fun one. Maybe one day we'll get a, we'll get a dead, we'll get a dead podcast going, Mick. Uh, dude, I would love to, man. I, I got to tell you this one and then I got to go do my other show, but, um, so I'm a kid talk. You just did this brought me, brought back a memory. My father died when I was in high school and I inherited his car. It was a 1979 Chevrolet Caprice Impala. So it was like one of those old cop car looking, you know, cars and it was red with a, a, a white top, you know, and I think he had bought it off of a lady that, you know, was like an older lady. So it looked like an old lady's car. And uh, so I had it and I'm like, man, this car and my friends had made this name up, you know, for the car. I'm not going to say it on here, but it, was, it wasn't <laughs> wasn't a great name to have. And I was like, I'm just putting dead stickers all over this car. So I put the dead stickers up. And all of a sudden I had street cred and everybody liked it. You know, it was like, oh man, that's cool. Like the, the back seat was a couch. Like everybody thought it was a big couch and I had the, I said speakers in the back, like the, you know, like the speaker box and my, my, my girlfriend's uh, family would always know when I was coming over there, which they probably didn't like, but because I could shake the, that box was so loud. It would, it would vibrate their house as I was pulling. <laughs> That was probably some other one from the 1970s, a few <laughs> fill bombs, right? Man, who even knows anymore? You know, like I, the the thing about it was back then I wasn't the kind of dead fan I am now. I was like, uh, you know, like a skeletons in the closet dead. You know what I'm talking yeah, about? Yeah, like the yeah. greatest hits guy. Like I didn't get it. It's I've had like four different re, like rebirths with the dead. You know, and when COVID happened, I I just you know I was so depressed because. You know, I was I felt like I was going in the right direction. I'm doing all this stuff with Marquee. I'm my, you know, I'm finally made it, you know, and then all of a sudden we're trying to find toilet paper. And it was like just it was overwhelming, you know, and I just went back and listened to like these old dead concerts and kind of found myself again, wrote a book and uh, with the dead playing a lot, you know. And so it kind of it, because I, when you work all the time in, in broadcasting, you don't really have a chance a lot of times to do all the things you want to do in life. 
And I put so many hours into trying to climb this ladder, you know, with the glass ceiling that, you know, you're like, Oh, wait a second, you know? And, and that's when you, and when, and when you hit that, you just find something else, you know, it, it's just the way life is. So anyway, we, this is the podcast we should be doing. <laughs> Instead of talking about prospects, <laughs> well, or as Buddy Bailey would say, suspects, prospects <laughs> or suspects. <laughs> so, well, thank you again, Mick, for joining us, and we'll definitely do it again in the future, buddy. All right, all right, all right brother. Talk, take care, man. See you. Take ya. care.